the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us here on the broadcast today studying God's Word. And we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be continuing with our Decoding Jesus teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us again to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So he's saying to them, look, I'm just not some crazy guy who walked up and did all this. You've known, you've heard, you've seen, this is not new to you. It's as if he's saying to them, how short of a memory do you have? And you look at this and think about how heartbreaking the denial is because we're on the heel. He just healed a guy who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. They're standing with un- incontrovertible evidence that this is not an ordinary man. This is the same one that John pointed out. This is the same one that cleared the temple. This is the same one who's done all these things. And they just won't listen. They don't want to believe. Reminds me of what it says earlier in John's Gospel. He came into the world and the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and they did not receive him. But to them who did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He has come to his own. The people who should have known better. And they're just like putting their hands in front of their eyes and their fingers in their ears and they're covering their mouths. These leaders would not believe. And they had indication that he was God's son. Savior of the world and therefore equal to God. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. They were willing to believe John as long as it suited them. Now it does not suit them, and they want to forget what John said. And they're face-to-face with their God. They're face-to-face with their Messiah. They're face-to-face with the promised one, the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world. And the amazing thing is, even the Samaritans got it, John chapter 2, right? Uh, John chapter 4. But these men, who should have known better, didn't. But the reality is, the evidence against them is just too great. Remember John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the interview with Nicodemus. What does it say there? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to them... Now, who is he? He's a man of the Pharisees. He's a member of the Jewish leadership. What does he say? Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. Think about that. No one can do these signs. We know that you are a teacher sent from God. We know. We know. We have learned. We have observed. We have come to the conclusion that you are a teacher sent from God because nobody can do what you do. And then, of course, there's the guy who was the paralytic, paralyzed for 38 years, completely restored, not only able to walk, but to carry his bed on the Sabbath. But they did not want to believe. Theirs is a willful unbelief. And unbelief is willful. It's often, almost always, arbitrary. 
And it really reveals the heart because no amount of evidence will do. And in their case, their stubbornness grows and grows and grows. And they are willing to ignore the obvious. You know, the amazing thing is, as you follow this out through the Gospel of John, the more evidence that he presents them, the more blindness that they pursue. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man blind from birth. And in verses 15 to 33, and I'll excerpt it for you, the Pharisees are confronted with the fact that he healed this blind man. And they ask the blind man, well, how did you get your sight? And he says, well, you know, Jesus healed me. And, there's, and then they're saying, well, this can't be him. He, he can't have been the man blind from birth. Get his parents. And his parents say, no, no, he's our son. We don't know how he was healed. He's of age. You talk to him. So in verse 15, so the Pharisees again ask him how he received his sight. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But in verse 31, you see the blind man's response, and it is so telling. The blind man saw it all. And he says this to them, we know that God does not listen to sinners. If anyone is not a worshiper of God and does not do his will, and does his will, if anyone is a worshiper of God, excuse me, and does his will, God listens to him. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But you see, their unbelief is, is selective. Their unbelief is willful because the devil that they know in their minds is better than the God they don't know. And that's what we face in our culture today. People don't want to know Christ because that takes away their autonomy. And they're not sure how they're going to like that. And they don't think they're going to like it too much. And so they don't want to believe. And you present the gospel to them and you share with them and, and they won't listen. They hear, but they don't heed. And what it comes down to is autonomy, self-interest, pride, and a loss of an eternity with God. And Jesus says, but I say these things so that you may be saved. And you say these things to them that they may be saved. And Christ said these things to them that they may be saved. And yet they just won't listen because they don't want to. And so Jesus is just calling witness after witness. We always have to remember that unbelief is purposeful. You know, we listen to the, a term like unbelief and this person doesn't believe or this person is state of being an unbeliever. And it sounds like something passive or something that's done out of ignorance. But the reality is, is it's purposeful. And you can see it and feel it here in this passage. They don't want to submit to him. They don't want to be responsible to him. They want what they want. And you can heal 38 men who've been disabled for 38 years, and they're not going to acknowledge it. It's, it's like the guy standing on a hill and going, Hill? What hill? I don't see a hill. Jesus has done something that no one can do, and they just won't listen. Which brings us to the third witness that he calls against them. And that is his father's voice in all its various forms. And this is somewhat of a complicated uh, couple of verses here. And the father who sent me has borne witness, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. They don't take God's word seriously. The prophet Isaiah is who John is quoting. He's like, John's like, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one Isaiah told you about. Make straight the way of the Lord is our prophet Isaiah. There are all kinds of prophecies in the scriptures that they would know that the, that the, that the Messiah would come into the temple and claim it as his own. Jesus cleansed the temple and said, my father's house. But I want to call your attention to the fact that it says, his voice you have never heard. <clears throat> and in that day when you say, I didn't hear that or I don't hear that, it means 
I don't, I'm not listening. I'm not obeying. I'm not going to pay attention. And what Jesus is saying, yeah, you've heard his voice. You have the scriptures. And he's also making a reference to his baptism where God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They heard his voice. They had their representatives there at the baptism, but they didn't heed the voice. Many, no doubt, no, heard the voice, but didn't listen. In Luke three twenty-one to 22, we read this. And when Jesus, who had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The people heard that. And we know that there are representatives of the Pharisees there and they heard it. And the Sadducees had representatives there and they heard it. Later on, his, they'll hear his voice again. John chapter 12, verses 28 to 30. Watch this. Jesus is praying and, and talking to his father. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. You see, there's always a reason. There's always a, an explanation. Well, yeah, it sounded like God speaking to him, but it was probably just thunder. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did this, but what other signs will he give us? You have a voice from God. You have God's voice through John the Baptist. This is the Son of God. You have God's voice through the Scriptures. Make way, the, prepare yourself the way of the Lord. You have all the prophecies. You have, <clears throat> you have it all. And they just won't listen. And then you have the voice of God at his baptism. And they hear these things, but they don't heed. You know, <clears throat> lest we are too hard on them, we have to think of our own selves too, don't we? How often do we read the text, see the word, hear the word, so to speak, and yet we, we don't heed either. You know, atheists do the former. They deny his existence. They refuse to return his love. Christians do the latter. They have received his love for salvation, but now they push it away when his love tries to show them how their life needs to change. That's hearing and heeding. But here, he has them on trial, and he says to them, look, John the Baptist testified of me. The miracles that I've done, I mean, remember this, by now he's turned the water into wine, word has gotten out. By now he's healed the royal official's son. You know that had to cause a stir. The guy was a big man on campus, right? Royal official. Heals his son long distance. The man believes, shares the gospel with his, with his wife and children. They come to Christ. The whole household comes to Christ. The whole household comes to faith. <clears throat> you don't think they kept it to themselves, do you? He cleanses the temple and says, my father's house. He heals this paralytic. He's speaking to them. That is the voice of God. He's imploring them. He's saying, I'm saying these things so that you might be saved. And you know what? They're seeing the form of God, right? Jesus the deity of God in bodily form, and they don't hear his voice, they don't see his form, they look somewhere else. And this is helpful to us to know because you and I will have opportunities, Lord willing, in the days and weeks and months and years to come to explain the gospel to people. And some people are going to be interested, some people are not going to be interested. And you know, we like to beat ourselves up. You know, I, I didn't do this right. If I'd just done this, if I'd just done that, understand this unless God is intervening. They're going, to, you'll, they're going to want more evidence. They're going to want more this, more that. They're not going to listen to you. And their unbelief isn't an accident. It's a choice that they're making. It's a decision to push the love of God away. That is the greatest tragedy, that God's love for them goes unrequited, unreciprocated. You know, in First John it says, not that we loved him, he first loved us. And God stands ready, willing and able to forgive them no matter what they've done in the past. 
to make them a child of God, no matter who they were or where they came from. All they have to do is be willing to receive the gift, and they push it away. At the same time, don't be discouraged, because we have the whole book here, and we know how the book ends. And one plants, and one waters, and one harvest, but it's God who, who yields the increase. And so understand what you're up against, but understand who's with you here, okay? So he calls his fourth witness, Moses. Now you have to understand the Pharisees and even the scribes were masters of the law of Moses. And they appealed to Moses. They always, you know, they're always, they're children of Abraham and they look to Moses as their original deliverer. And he's going to tell them, you know what? Moses testifies against you. Where does he do that? In verses 45 to 47. So Jesus, who's already said that he's equal to God, equal in ability to God, uh, equal as the giver of life with God, equal, equally deserving worship and the only Savior and the ultimate judge, says this to them, Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's ironic that the entire confrontation began because they accused him of violating the law of Moses, the Sabbath law. One of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, and then later on there were some more detailed prescriptions about the Sabbath, but they got it all wrong. And he's saying, it's, you know, it's funny, you're, you're accusing me, but Moses is accusing you. I don't need to condemn you. I don't need to accuse you on Judgment Day. Moses will do it. And when you think of Moses, you know, we think of Moses, you know, the Ten, the ten Commandments. But really, in Genesis 3.15 is the first place, and Moses wrote the book of Genesis, where the promised deliverer is mentioned. He mentions him again in 9.26, 22.18. Genesis 49.10, Numbers 24.17. And in Deuteronomy 18.15-18, we read this. The Lord your God will raise you up, up a prophet like me from among you and your brothers. It is to him you, are, you shall listen. And they're not listening. They're not listening. He says again in John 5.39-40, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's willful. Unbelief is always willful. It's never about not having enough information or not having enough evidence. The heavens are declaring the glories of God and days to day, day to day pours forth speech and there's no place where their voice is not heard. Yet you refuse to come to me. You refuse, it's an act of will, to come to me that you may have life. It's like Jesus the Messiah is hidden in plain sight. And the reality is, they are like people standing on a mountain saying, where's the mountain? And they're standing on it. And that's why Jesus said in John 5, 37, And the Father who sent me himself has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. The, word, the, the law of Moses, the law and the prophets, the whole Jewish Bible we call the Old Testament bears witness to Christ, and they will not believe because the Word of God isn't important to them. I, I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago whose friend was a uh, Jewish convert to Christianity, Orthodox Jew, one of the strictest, and he, was, he had been explaining how they get around the Word of God, like they're not supposed to travel on the Sabbath, but somewhere in the Talmud, it says that if, now if you're traveling over water, you can, do, you, you can travel on the Sabbath. So they put bottles of water under the seat in their car 
Think about that. You know? But here's what's going on. This is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. I mean, they have incontrovertible... There's no way they can't know who he is. There's no one who's done anything like him. They have the scriptures, but the scriptures mean nothing to them. The law of Moses means nothing. They'll never see it plainly enough. They'll say they never heard it clearly enough. The fulfilled prophecies were coincidences. The miracles are tales and legends. And the evidence is just not substantial enough. They want to believe, but they can't. That's what we hear today. That's what they're, in effect, saying to him. Unbelief, Jesus' verdict, is a deliberate refusal to acknowledge the realities and embrace the Savior. You refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to me. Four witnesses, one verdict, the suppression of fact, ignoring reality. When I look at this scene, I think it's one of the, one of the single most tragic scenes in the Bible, second only to the resurrection of Lazarus when the Jewish leaders say, you know, he does so many miracles. If he keeps going on like this, people will believe him. They'll put their trust in him and we'll lose our position and the Romans will take away our nation. And all that Jesus is trying to do is offer them love and forgiveness, help, hope, healing, and restoration via eternal life. And they're pushing it away. Reminds me of John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son. I say these things so that you will be saved. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Apostle Paul summarized this encounter in a few short verses, in two or three verses in Romans 1, 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what be, can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. In love, Jesus reached out to the Jewish people here and they pushed him away. He's provided miracle after miracle, teaching after teaching. He has inductively, gradually shown them by experience after experience the only conclusion that they can come to, that he is their only God and Savior. And they have pushed him away. In love, he reached out to you and I. And by God's grace, we responded. In love, he reached out to them and they did not respond. So what do you do with all of this? How do you apply this in your life? Well, I think there are at least two categories of application here. One is the comfort and encouragement that you have when you share the gospel with people and they don't respond. We like to beat ourselves up. But realize this, that unbelief is not about ignorance. Unbelief is a willful refusal to consider Christ. Understand that there is never enough evidence, no matter how much evidence. That's a fact. Be comforted in that. Don't use it as an excuse. Certainly don't use it as an excuse. But let me just kind of go off script a little bit and say this too. Whatever you say to them, remember why you're saying it to them so that they would be saved. Sometimes they're going to make us more than a little frustrated. Sometimes they're going to try to provoke us, but we need to stay on message just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. And we need to show patience because there is nothing more tragic than the unrequited love of God for the sinner. But let me turn it on its ear a little bit and point it towards us as well. We often fail to examine ourselves as to how God's unrequited love applies to us. 
And this isn't in your notes and it's not in the slides. And this is just something I want to share with you. God sent his son to die for our sin. He died in our place like we sang. This is amazing grace that his son would die for me and you. How are we returning that love? You know, we live in a culture that wants to make us too busy for God. We go to work five, six days a week. We work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. We show up for work on time, characteristically. We work late. And yet in an American culture, worship as a church family, corporate worship, is often seen as an option, not an imperative, not as a necessity. So we come to church once a month, twice a month, three times a month. Imagine showing up for your job like that. Think about that. A 25% absence rate. How would that play out? There's no greater tragedy than God's unrequited love. How would it show up if you play out if you had a 50% absence rate? You know, as we work through a book of the Bible, we work through it a piece at a time sequentially. Can you imagine reading the first chapter and the last chapter and not being there for everything? That, and then you miss something, you're not equipped, and that God gives you a divine appointment and you're not able to share his love because you were too busy. You know, these are things, these are weighty things. I think of every time I miss a quiet time, and I'm thinking, how am I returning God's love to him? What if he missed a prayer time with me? What if he said, you know, I know you're praying to me, but it's been a busy, busy, it's been a busy millennium, and uh, I really don't have time for you right now. So see, this cuts both ways. And so we need, as believers, to be just as loving to God toward the unbeliever, because God continues to love us, even when we don't love him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for demonstrating your love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly, for the godless. And Lord, we come before you and pray and we ask forgiveness and then we sin against you the next day, Lord. And yet you show us love and patience and care. Help us to be that loving, that patient, that diligent as we disciple our children and bring our children to church and tell our children about Jesus as we tell our parents or grandparents about Jesus as we share Christ with all kinds of people. Lord, help us to be patient and diligent. Help us to equip ourselves, Father, to be good stewards of the responsibilities and the ministries you've loaned to us. Help us to be faithful, Lord, and not absent. Above all, Father, help us to be humble because we didn't deserve your salvation, but you gave it to us anyway. And out of that humility, Lord, we pray informed by your word, empowered by your spirit, and encouraged by one another, that we would love you well. Father, unbelief is a tragic thing. Lord, you offer your love and people reject it. Help us to be good stewards of it. And to not even live a moment in unbelief, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.